G'day and welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch, the producer and host of Where Those in Music Chat Life and Those in Life Talk Music and More. Our feature guest today is Sarah Belkner. She's currently on tour in the band for Missy Higgins and was recorded back in March of 2017. In fact, it was recorded just days after I'd done my final radio show live. And speaking about that, it's uh, two years to the day in the last few days that I actually called it a day, went to the manager, and after 25 years said, well, this has to be it. Those reasons and why? Well, we can wait a couple of weeks before we talk about that, hey? Anyway, also today, I'll be giving you a bit of a chat with David Thor. He's from the Cactus Channel, but he has a brand new solo release coming out in the next few weeks. I want to share with you a bit of that chat prior to the feature chat, which will be after the release. So that's coming up as well. But as we do every episode, firstly, let's go... In the box. Better Than Me by Ethan Barnett, a.k.a. 10 Tons debut EP, was called Lucy. The latest cut has had 1.7 million streams. They're out through Warner. George David Kefner. Encounter with the Moon, melodic piano release. His fanfare, in fact, was used for the Special Olympics and was part of the opening ceremony in LA, Los Angeles, that is, in 2016, and all originals on this latest release from them. EMI has sent details of a cut produced by M Phases and written together with the previously Grammy-nominated Sarah Ahrens from Meg Mack, Something Tells Me, written by Sarah and Meg on an upright piano. Radio Notes, Discoveries. Bitter Crush got in touch via the socials. They're from New Jersey. Their latest song, No Spare Change, was recorded at the Shorefire Recording Studios in Long Branch in New Jersey. I'll have links on the Radio Notes podcast website. Another artiste which has caught my eye and definitely my ear and soul over the last few days is Mahalia. Fresh off, they say, the back of her sold-out Australasian tour, Brit Award nominee out on Atlantic Records, Mahalia has unveiled a stunning new single produced by Felix Joseph. It's called Do Not Disturb, and as the song title would suggest, it's about not being disturbed and focusing on oneself. For those that are all into this looking at yourself first kind of mentality, being the best you can be without anyone else and all that kind of jazz, this pop is on top of all that. Finally, something that may be disturbing to some and have adult concepts and in the likes of Lydia Lunch, but is ticking some buttons for those that are acquiring it. Samantha Riot has a brand new spoken word out through Bandcamp called Bloodletting. She is from a band called Rodent Side. This is more her spoken word together with strings. Got an email from Corkridge Records letting us know that on March the 22nd, an album called Zip do what is what that this and i'll have a single called baby i wish i'd been a better pop star this in fact is claire moore and dave graney who have been involved in creating and releasing at least 33 albums this being their 33rd album together out in march the 22nd the first single will be out in the coming days as mentioned baby i wish i'd been a better pop star is the single and the album is zippa de do what is was that this before we head into the conversation with sarah belkner our feature guest i just want to clear out my web browser my tabs and so if you can bear with me, I'd like to share what I've got here and uh, also give you some links in the show notes. 
New Amsterdam Records is announcing A Page From. It's a debut album from celloist Caitlin Sullivan, and it features works by Tim Oderas, Nicholas Brintel, Gabriel Karn, and many others. Now, this particular release is part of a windmill series. Now, what you need to do for this is actually subscribe via Bandcamp. So you don't actually buy the album, you more subscribe to the releases. Just repeating, it's an album out on New Amsterdam Records. It's by uh, Cello Sullivan, which is Caitlin Sullivan, and the particular album is called A Page From. One tab down, a few more to go. Here's one I've got, and it's uh, off the back that Hannah Gatsby is going to preview her brand new show, Douglas, in Adelaide, South Australia, prior to its premiere at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, at the very least in Melbourne. She'll be doing it in Adelaide first, and as part of that and the US tours, she's teaming up with something called over yonder which is o-v-e-r-y-o-n-d-r.com and what yonder do is they have a patented system they say that creates phone free spaces for artists educators organizations and individual and basically what it is if you can imagine the electronic tabs they have on clothing so that you don't steal them but they also lock the material together so the tabs that lock the material together with a pin, what they have is pouches that people can put their mobile phones into at the beginning of a concert or a performance, and it's called Yonder. And that's exactly what Hannah Gatsby will want to be using. As you enter the phone-free area, your phone will be placed in this case, and then it's locked. Once inside the case, it's locked, and you maintain possession of your phone at all times. So that old thing of wondering whether or not the phone should be put into the cloakroom with your cloak, well, you can now hold on to it, but it's locked for the entirety of the performance. Guaranteed, someone's phone's going to be left on, and it will ring, and they won't be able to answer it, and the performance will have to be stopped because of it. But hey, at least the thought of an idea to get around people recording the concerts and performances. Lanks, who I very much would like to share my extended chat with him, with you, in the future, is announcing his final dates for now. Lanks, if you haven't caught up with his music, lanksmusic.com. And from The Signal uh, on ABC every morning via the podcast is doing a comedy show at the Wine Centre. Eves Carades has a brand new clip out on February the 14th called The Wildless Ones. Sasha March has a plausible campaign. Sasha March is a singer-songwriter from Adelaide. Her target is 5,500. She's got about eight days as we go to being published. And the new single is what she's raising money for. She's currently sitting on around two grand. She's still got over 3,000 to go. If you want to find out more and help her out, Sasha March on plausible.com. Just going through the tabs I've got here. What's this one about? Uh, Yumi Nagazami wants you to rate your boyfriend in bed. This is a brand new release out on 604 Records. It's a comedy release. Former Justice Michael Kirby will be celebrating 50 years since he crossed eyes with his lover, his partner, his person in life. And they'll be uh, celebrating that with their marriage on February the 11th, 2019, 50 years after they met. 
There's a story on NPR's The Picture Show which caught my eye. It's about instant photos and how they capture the tiny desk artist offsage. It's flaws, dust, specs and all. And it goes into the details of off-the-hip type photography. So it's not a stage photo, but just of the atmosphere within the studio while they're doing their tiny desk recordings. And here's a new release that I didn't mention earlier. I'll mention now to you from Ego Mondo, Justice Part 1. This is featuring a, a collaborative group, including Rachel Eckroth, who will be with us in coming episodes of Radio Notes. And just finally, there is an official video that's been put out for Jealous of the Birds. Jealous of the Birds, been mean to speak a little bit more about those, but let's uh, leave it at that for now and hope to chat with them in the not-too-distant future. Just repeating, Jealous of the Birds, Blue Eyes, the official video is now out. That's just some of the tabs that I've left open. I'll have more details for you in the show notes at radionotespodcast.com. Time now for our feature guest. Sarah Belkner was seen on New Year's Eve rocking out with Tim Minchin and has also been touring in Sarah Blasco's and many other notable performers' bands. Though, Belkner is a name in their own right as a producer, composer and musician. But You Are, But It Has is the acclaimed solo album released in 2017 that provides sound pictures across nine songs, 35 minutes, lapping up their classical knowledge with modern pop sensibilities – Belkner collaborates on the release with Alana Stone, Brendan McLean, Nairi and Billy McCarthy. John caught up with Sarah just after its release in 2017 during the Adelaide Fringe in the Garden of Unearthly Delights. Sarah Belkner, welcome to Radio Notes. Hi. We are, Lovely to be here. We're in the back of the Garden of Unearthly Delights. Give us a word picture of what we've got going on. Oh wow, we have a lot of lights. Uh, something called the kamikaze that I think we might you know, be treated to hearing some people vomit at some point in the background, which would be great. There go some people now going up on, what's that one called? The Fury. There's some people spinning around Fury. Uh, that air mattress blowing up sound you can hear are some giant balls on water that are, a small boy is being put inside the ball and they're blowing air into the ball that he will be suspended on top of water. So it's, it's all happening here. There's a skydiver over there, some bungeeing... Yeah, it's beautiful. And we've got the factory, which is the home of the magnets, Lawrence Mooney, and puppetry of the penis. And right above it, please, if you can, describe the moon tonight, because it is pretty much, once you get over the colour and light of the carnival atmosphere, it's dark, and then the moon's... Well, the moon is shining at three quarters, which is one of my favourite. It's waxing, so it's on its way to full, almost full, probably about three days away, I reckon. We're going to wax lyrically over the next little while. But before we do, I'm I'm a bit cautious how we actually deal with this. So let's go through this together. There's been different incarnations of your musical monikers over the years. And you're now settled on your actual name of Sarah Belkner. Yes. I found out earlier today you were in the West Side uh, Choral. You used to actually write choral music, young lady. I love that you called it West Side. What was it? Westside. Oh, my God. Uh, Westlake Girls School is a high school in New Zealand that I went to. That's where I grew up, Westside. Like, Westside Story, like, Biggie Smalls, um, all of the above. Yeah, Yeah, so I was in the Westlake Choir. That's where I learned a lot of things. And then I was also in the National Youth Choir in New Zealand. So I sang choral music for years and years. And, yeah, and also started out writing 
choral music for for all sorts of things growing up. So as a 16-year-old, weirdly writing songs and also writing choral music at the same time, which I realise now is quite strange. The actual writing of choral music at such a young age as well. Yeah. Quite unique in New Zealand? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they were encouraging school students to write, which is something, you know, that the Kiwis should definitely be commended for. Um, And there's a big choral festival that happens in New Zealand that's like a big deal to high school students. Um, And they have a prize for, yeah, for the top choral work of a high school student. And I was the first person to actually win that, which is really cool. So when you were starting out, you were one of the first people doing this, obviously to be the first one to win the prize, or did you get a yeah. sense there was a lot going on at the time in that area? Um, I felt like it was, uh, I don't know, it's sort of hard to tell when you're that young. Like, there's a huge tradition of choral music in New Zealand, so I sort of thought it was, no, it felt like it had been around for a long time, like the tradition of choral music. Um, and I definitely had composers that even at that age I was looking up to composers like David Hamilton and Eve de Castro Robinson who I ended up actually learning under yeah there were there were already composers around that are, you know that you yeah that I was looking up to so musically grew up with the sounds of Peter Gabriel as, as a family favorite yeah. yes the excitement enlightened your face on the mere mention of this man <laughs> any mention of Peter Gabriel I do I do blush I definitely owe a couple of uh, gin and tonics to uh, Jack Colwell, who told me to tell you about that. Did he really? Yeah. (laughs) That's really funny. I asked the young man for advice, and that's all he could tell me. And he said, just talk about Peter Gabriel for half an hour. Yeah, well, let's. Peter Gabriel arrived where in your life, and how has that travelled with you? So I was listening to... Well, I guess in context of not just talking about him, but my dad had a vinyl collection, which is quite a classic... That seems to be such a classic sentence, doesn't it, for songwriters often it's like you know your parents had this vinyl collection it was the 80s so Chicago Toto Peter Gabriel you know Earth Wind and Fire was a big one James Taylor my dad's a huge James Taylor fan yeah but Peter Gabriel's album So was one that we all like the whole family really liked like my brother there's some screaming in the background (laughs) anyway back to PG so we would listen to that album like seriously that's what people call them because I actually got to go to Real World Studios in Britain. That's something I haven't told anyone yet. Yeah, so he, yeah, his album was a big deal for us as a family. We just listened to it a lot and it kept cropping up for me. And then I hadn't listened to his music for a long time. And then around the making of my album, you know, when they just come back to you at some point. And so it was one of those records that as I was starting to go into the studio, yeah, it came back to me and I started listening to it a lot more. As an adult, you know, and as a person who'd been making music for a long time now, I came back at it with a more analytical brain, which was, yeah, really interesting. Did you get a chance of getting a closer encounter with the works of Peter Gabriel? I did. When when I was in the UK last year, I happened to be in Bristol, which is close, yeah, close to Real World Studios, and um, I'd met Mike, who's the manager of Real World Studios, the year before, actually in Rome, Adelaide because he runs WOMAD around the world um, and I'd met him through a mutual friend of ours and he said, if you're ever in the area, come to Real World Studios. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'd made my album at this point, which is very heavily influenced by Peter Gabriel's album. So, And here I was sitting with his, you know, who is literally his offsider saying, if you're ever in the area, come to the studio. <laughs> just, just ridiculous. And so I did. I ended up 
very close, so I called him and he said, come for a coffee, and I did, and he showed me around the whole studio and into Peter Gabriel wasn't there, which I don't think I would have coped with anyway, but he showed me into his personal writing space and got to see the Lindrum that they used on the record, like the original gear that they used on that record, and yeah, it was crazy. That personal writing space sounds like it's within the studio. Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, it's actually sort of behind the main studios. So you kind of walk up into some trees and there's this its own space there. So it is a more private space that he's got kind of at the back of the property. Did you get a sense of views or of items on there? Oh, yeah, totally. It was crazy. Like he had, just like any you know any writer, had a lot of um, ideas on the wall and works in progress and his assistant was literally dubbing off cassettes of demos from decades of work so they were just going about their daily business yeah let's directly now relate it to Sarah Belkner who's our special guest and your writing space and Mm -hmm. and some of those inspiration because I'm not asking you to give away that of Peter Gabriel that's his personal space but for you though can you maybe give some insight to where your space is and what's there I've written in various places over the years, but currently, so we've got the studio, and then we actually live directly opposite opposite the studio, this which is great. Me. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's door to door, so it's really, and that's just serendipity. It's just how it's kind of worked out. So and, there's um, traffic in between. Yeah, very leafy, lovely street, um, but I can literally walk across the road and use the equipment, and <laughs> and then, but then in in our apartment that that is where I do a lot of my writing I've got my own room and I do I put a lot of stuff on walls and just muse. Is there a particular photograph that comes to mind or a particular object? No not really I've been looking at a lot of painters recently so I've got like Joel Rea and who's a modern Australian artist that I really like at the moment Uh, Magritte some Frida Kahlo yeah a lot of painters like painters at the moment. You mentioned our studio, that is yourself and your yes. husband, Richard Belkner. Yes. What's this creative partnership about? And if we can pry, how did it all start for you two yeah, kids? Okay, I don't, yeah, I don't mind being asked about it. And, and for me, it's very normal. So it's been interesting to see that people do find it fascinating. And I don't mind talking about it, you know, that professional end of it, I don't yeah, mind yeah, talking about. When we met making music, like we made music together before. And then now that we are romantically involved for a lot, when we have been for a long time, um, we make music together for other people as well. So we're in those production roles for other artists. And, yeah, it's just something, I don't know, we just have a musical communication that's very special. And we have complementary skills. So where he's very much, like, he's an incredible engineer. Like, he just, yeah, he can really, he's really the mouthpiece to people's ideas, you know. So you can give him any idea and he... Yeah, he can just find a way to actually make that happen, which sounds it sounds like, oh, yeah, but isn't that an engineer's job? It's like, it's not actually that straightforward sometimes. Like, to do that well is, yeah, it takes a lot of skill. And Well, it's the articulation you're talking about, about an artist who may not be very articulate, having right. someone else who can yeah. bounce it back. And understanding that everybody has different language in the way that they communicate what they want in music. So for an artist, I, I, you know, I... I am trained, but I don't believe that everybody needs to be. You know, I don't believe that everyone needs to have a degree in music to be a fantastic musician. Like we've seen, you know, we've got so many examples that that's not the case, that we need that. Um, But then what that means is sometimes trying to communicate ideas. You don't have a written language, so then people have their own way of explaining things and producers, 
good producers and engineers are really good at unraveling what the per- you know what they're really trying to get at and what they mean and helping them to communicate with other musicians or just unraveling what they want in the studio. That's the way you see Richard Belkner's part in this partnership. So what yeah. do you bring to it? Uh, what's the complementary aspect that you might wish to refer to? Yeah, well, I guess for him, like he's in that technical role and he does produce as well. That What I was sort of describing there is quite a producer's role in um, yeah the communication between. So in my role, I would be the communicator between the artist and the engineer. That sort of becomes that production role. Yeah, and arranging, really. Like, that's really my other geeky thing that I love to do. <laughs> well, I want to talk about BVs because that's a, another big part of your life. But before we do, and it, it is slightly geeky in a way, the arrangement idea, because sometimes you have to be quick on your feet and I guess other times you get time to brew on some things. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, I come from a background, again, with the composition and the orchestral and the choir writing and that sort of thing that you do spend time on those ideas. And when I write my songs... Like, a lot of that is already there. Like, I've already, you know, when I'm writing the main part, there'll be melodies, like, counter-melodies that will then... Then I'll give then give to Matt Keegan, who's my saxophone clarinet player, you know, and then he'll evolve that, or it'll be exactly what I thought of at the start. Or So there's different ways of doing it. But, yeah, there's def- I definitely spend time. Like, it's not... Um, yeah, but I, I guess in saying that too, I'll be in the studio and then be like, we need a keyboard part and they'll just come up with something on the spot. So, In that answer, you mentioned one of the legends of Australian jazz yes. who just happens to be, you know, your saxophone, clarinet, him. wind player. Yeah. I am a huge Matt Keegan yeah, fan. I, But to have someone like Matt Keegan literally on tap, it sounds like, how does that professional working relationship work? Well, Matt and I have... Uh, a mutual love well a mutual kind of love hate relationship with the saxophone (laughs) so he is a saxophonist who also sometimes doesn't like the sound of the saxophone so him and I mutually is Kenny G responsible for that? probably Um, although all of that's making such a comeback at the moment so watch out (laughs) next album it's going to be ripping ripping 80s sax solos Um, no but getting back to Matt I mean yeah, him and I have this similar interest in, in making acoustic instrument sound processed or like, yeah, I don't know quite what it is, and, and finding textures that we haven't heard before. So him and I really have a lot of common ground there, like trying to find parts and textures and beautiful, you know, kind of trying to create beautiful landscapes with with a clarinet through this amazing synthesizer rig that he's developed over the years. And he's spent a lot of time on on that electronic aspect um he's really been developing that for a long time and it's yeah it's just been wonderful to have him do that on my clock quite a bit too in the band's been yeah seeing those incarnations and him literally practicing that in my band's like great because you know you get to hear these sounds for the first time sometimes is this a sense of a studio within a studio that's starting to develop Uh, oh yeah yeah we do yeah we're always kind of that's true yeah studio away from home always yeah, we're always thinking about process. It's interesting. Did you first meet him as a jazz musician or at a different point in your life? Um, Where does the Keegan factor... Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think. He's a very dear friend of Richie, so I did meet him through the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think how we actually started playing together, though. I definitely saw him playing a lot of jazz, but I always knew in his tone that it wasn't, you know... 
like you could always tell that he's not just trying to rip Coltrane you know like which is a wonderful thing to do but he's he's always looking for his own you can always tell that he's you know he's really searching for his own sound and his own type of music as well like he's not he's not just a traditionalist I've always been around jazz musicians since I was growing up because my brother is a jazz a wonderful jazz saxophonist so weirdly I think that Matt's taken over a bit from growing up with my brother playing saxophone. How important was your brother growing up musically? Oh, hugely, yeah, yeah. So that's where I heard yeah things like Coltrane and Miles Davis and Bill Evans and like all of that was yeah from him. So in my family, there were everybody was listening to different music. Then my mum's the classical, you know, was listening to more classical music, and then my other brother was into grunge, so <laughs> he was listening to Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Radiohead and all that. So I kind of got everything. Um, it's a real melting pot. Brand new album, but you are, but it has has dropped. It's out on vinyl. People should get it on the wax. Yes. The influences within it, I get with all your work. You haven't had to have a prescription of where the music goes, have you? You haven't had a sense it needed a top forty or a jazz feel or anything else. Is that true? Oh no, yeah, no. I yeah, I'm constantly looking for my own world basically how do you get your own world years and years of searching no it is it's like just uncovering like but it's about not getting this what you call sunday brain as well yeah i really want to make something new but i'm very aware as well that we're you know we're constantly influenced so you you can't not be influenced by everything that you hear and everything that you see and do is like it's going to influence you in the same like all the music that I heard as a kid and growing up it all goes into you but there's this other part where it's like I really don't want to mimic things um, and I've always had that I think that's that composer's brain it's like I want to find my own way of putting that together so I can say something that's you know just a little bit different to maybe how someone else has said it and I might I might end up on the same themes or similar instrumentation to other people but I still want to find my own yeah really want to find my own way of saying things are you searching outside your own personal stories yeah I do I mean up until this point it's always had some sort of connection to myself I mean then there's pure narratives talk to me about George in that context of of narrative so George is a total narrative like there was there is no George sorry everyone for those that haven't heard the record because we can't play music on a podcast it's that idea of a storybook narrative it is. It's very, and I'm getting into narrative writing actually much more personally as well. Like I've gone back to um, starting to write some short stories and that sort of thing. So I love, I love a good narrative, and yeah, that one, and also Violence of Summer or two that just kind of came out front to back as a, as its own story. And I really don't know where it came from. It's a very quite a gothic sort of creepy tale, um, but I guess it's trying to get a point across of action and reaction is what I think George is about so it's like something's happened and then it's the story of how in this instance it's a young kid and how he's reacting to something that's happened to him and his reaction is to go and burn down his mother's house you know so it's quite an extreme reaction but I yeah I guess it's a cautionary tale or something like that. We've too. had those tales over the years. The Doors, for example, uh, yeah. talking about reactions to, to motherhood and, yeah. and how that son-mother relationship would be. Yeah, and I think sometimes narrative is a way to really... Like, you can really spell it out in a narrative um, through descrip- description, whereas when it's a literal story, 
I don't know, that can almost be too close to the bone sometimes, maybe. So, yeah. There's not an example, you have to make one up. Maybe that's what it is. Is that hard when it is a bit too literal and you're pretty much you've got some people very close to you who can hear it sooner than later? Yeah, nobody has said to me yet, oh, that song is... I mean, that's not true. I've got a song called Joanna that's not on... I haven't actually recorded that song, but that is literally about my friend Joanna, and I know it's hard for her to hear that one. I always sing it when she's in the audience too. She lives in London, and I only ever... I actually only ever seem to sing it when she's there, but I I don't know, yeah. And I know that that's hard for her to hear that song because it is literally what happened to her well did you write that song obviously uh, for her and, and the yeah. answer to that is yes and, and then to be compelled to want to or happen to sing it while she's there is it your way Sarah of uh, helping as part of a healing process do you think I don't know I mean why do you feel compelled to sing it I while guess she's it's there? A, like it comes from a support place for me right. it's like I want to acknowledge and that's what I do try to do in all of my songs like I really want to acknowledge the sort of what people would describe as maybe some of the terrible things that we go through or just some of the more tricky things I really I really like to acknowledge those things so that we feel comforted in some weird way yeah I've always done that with my songwriting it's really what yeah it's really what it is and how have those songs traveled with you some of the more challenging personal ones for you over the years have you fell out of love with some of these songs um yeah I mean obviously at the moment I'm mostly just singing the current album but yeah it'd be interesting to go back to some of my really earlier things and see how they sit I don't know yeah I haven't quite I haven't stumbled across anything that I can't sing like I'm quite happy to be emotional too so even at a show like if something made me upset I would still yeah honour it and do it like it's not I'm not scared of being upset or sad or you know it's not yeah because it's more important to do it than to stop emotions like I'm not really one to yeah I wouldn't stop an emotion you know which then brings up the question of collaborations are you keen at this point in your life now that you've got a whole album out and congratulations on that are you keen to now go and collaborate some of these emotional feelings a collaborative record of some sort um well there is actually one in the works with a ba- I don't know if I'm allowed to actually can say something about it. A wonderful band called Castrati. And there's a, a guy called Jonathan Wilson, different Jonathan Wilson um, to the very famous Jonathan Wilson. Anyway, he, um, he has a, a band. This is a very famous Jonathan Wilson. But he has a band called Castrati um, who are fantastic and he does a lot of analogue synth and uh, modular synthesizer stuff. And we ended up kind of making a record together. So. That will be very wonderful. Has it been finished, though? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's being mixed at the moment, so that's why I feel like I can probably All say right. something about it. But what's the vibe on it? Oh, it's a full record. I, I probably can't... Yeah, I probably won't say more than that at the moment because there's more to it than that. Right. There's a concept? So there, yeah, there is. There's very good concept. And that's something that I'm more interested in. Like, if someone presents me with stuff and, and I can hear what I would do on it straight away or it really pulls up something that I'm interested in in looking at like emotionally which this was it was just like whoa like as soon as I heard Jonathan's tracks I just started writing on them straight away and and it was really this kind of really quite dark and quite I I felt like I could explore actually darker material on this than my own for some reason during that time um, so, yeah, it'll be really interesting for people to hear it. I'm really proud of those songs. So. I want to ask you about Dark. Yeah, it's a funny word, isn't it? 
Sarah Belkner and dark. How do you sit within dark and what does dark mean for you? I think dark is like when you're exploring and and it's good. I really like that you've asked this because I feel like when I read interviews or listen to interviews, that word gets thrown around a lot, you know, for stuff that I I just guess it's like emotional terrain that people are a little bit scared of of going into you know and when I go further into that emotional terrain that I think people don't sing about as much um, that's where I feel like I've really done something like when you do that you sort of feel like you're yeah exploring more interesting terrain so it's not necessarily dark because it's not like yeah, it's sort of the wrong word. But there is a depth. Hefty, heavy, yeah. like um, and there's stuff a, that people don't want to talk about. There's also a depth know. of understanding, Sarah, with that as well, isn't it? You yeah. need to be well-read in what you're talking about or at least have been well-experienced in what you're talking about. Or it's that you can relate. There's something that you've picked up on that you feel like you can relate to yeah. the emotion that that person would have been going through, and it's without judgment. Yes. So there's no judgment is that called empathy? That. It is called empathy, and that's what... That's a word we best. don't use much these days. Yeah, and that's actually what songwriters... I think the best songwriters are exceptionally empathetic. That's what they're able to do. Can you give an example of those empathetic songwriters that have helped you through working on some of this darker material, your own or collaborative, that we're not talking about? Yeah, I, I love PJ Harvey. I'm a huge fan of PJ Harvey. Um, when were of? you introduced to PJ Harvey? Um, when I was at university, yeah, I worked so in a no record Sheila shop. No, it wasn't. It was actually Stories from the City was the first. And then I went back. I sort of worked backwards. I worked in a CD shop so that I could buy CDs, basically. <laughs> All my money buy. just went back into... I know, it's funny, Oh, you actually it? bought them? You, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost. them? No, no, right. no. I was legit. I saved up and, yeah. So I discovered a lot of music at that time too, and that was literally just educating myself in whatever I could get my hands on, pre-iTunes. From Stories of the City to now, what's that Sarah Belkner, PJ Harvey story been like? Well, she's one of the few artists that I actually love all of her records, except the new one, maybe not quite as much. (laughs) I've seen a lot of live uh, clips of that and it seems to translate amazingly live. I couldn't go to the recent gig but um, yeah she's one of those people that her whole like all of her work from start to you know what she's currently doing um, I just think is incredible She's a, she adapts what she does she's not you know she doesn't just stick okay I've made a record that people like now I'm going to do that again it's like she, she purposefully tries to do the opposite and put herself at you know, make yourself uncomfortable to find... Where over the years do you think you'll sit yourself in that being comfortable doing the same thing Gillian Welsh style v the PJ Harvey, I'll do something different every time? Where do you think you'll sit yourself in that? Um, it's hard to know at this point, but yeah, I definitely would look... I'm definitely looking to change, you know, and to explore new, new, materi- new territory and not repeat myself. Yeah. What's your sound palette then? Oh, wow. Um, currently, I guess, analog keyboards. So there's a lot of um, Juno and Rhodes and Wurlitzer and sort of old school vintage keyboards I've always been really interested in. Um, so that's, yeah, and then piano, so grand piano. And then always coupled with some sort of beats. So we use Lynn drums, MPC, um, real drums, and then... 
bass, uh, synthesized and acoustic bass as well. So there's always a synthesized element and an acoustic element, like every part of the band. So that's the paint. Can I now bring you to something I'm sure you can talk about a lot, and that's the visualisation of those paints. What do you see when you... Oh, wow, all sorts of things. (laughs) But for this particular record, I'm sure you have particular visions. I did. I'm trying to think the landscape... There was definitely a lot of, interestingly, what's come out through the cover too, like a lot of black and iridescent light, a lot of like quite uh, deep landscapes of trees and that kind of thing, like a lot of... If we focus yeah. on the cover, not to, to bring you back too yeah. quickly, but you're really proud of this cover, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, my friend Wilk, who's a photographer that I've worked with on all of, like from the Humans EP right through to the album he's taken all of my photos so any photo that you see is is his um and yeah it was a concept that he had of like light, light lightness coming out of dark or which i think is really appropriate for the themes on the record of you know um getting yourself out of difficult situations has been one of the main themes i've found has cropped up a lot so that idea of finding yeah finding light and dark so he chose to use a technique of light painting by Picasso. Well, it's actually not by Picasso, but Picasso did some of the most famous ones where... Um, so you hold the... What's it called? The camera lens yeah, open? Right. Yeah. Aperture? Oh, yeah. Aperture, yeah. yeah. Held open. Oh, my God. You can tell... I can, I can talk about technical stuff in the studio, but it comes cameras. It's not great. Um, so that gets held open, and it's dark in the room. I strike a pose, and then he comes in front of the camera with a, literally with a torch and paints light and then yeah so that's what we did what kind of analog camera do you enjoy using oh god i don't know i know nothing about photography cameras do you have one no i don't yeah no i don't i love that was the left field question yeah i love photography though i love looking at photography um but i more as well yeah they do too more visual arts i come through a painting background Really, so through high school and university, I was always painting. So, and it's something I really want to get back to as well. When do you think you'll get time, oh or when? God. Will you... I don't know. I don't know. We're currently speaking at Sarah Belk. Then this is where we talk about the wild life that you have. So, <laughs> so it's wonderful that you just have to cross the road from from your abode with your husband to go to a studio that you get to share. It's all very close and wonderful. And then there's a thing called Australia and New Zealand recently. Uh, where you get to tour and so the big wide open road must be a mind-blowing experience even as many times that you've done it and more so with the people you get to do it with yeah it has been and so I put out a little thing into the world maybe two years ago saying I just want to play more I want to play yeah yeah I wasn't very specific like I would obviously like to do more of my own shows as well I just put out into the world that I wanted to be playing and and more original music so then that came back to me as that's key though isn't it because you could have you could have got a lot of cover yeah I used to do that a long time ago um and I, I really it's not my yeah it's not my scene so what did, at all what did the universe firstly uh, after this a couple of years ago you, yeah. you sent this out what was the first thing the universe came back with um well initially i was playing with lenny lane and her band and then yeah which was beautiful That's, and her and i were very different the music that she does i find to be engaging organic how do you describe for those that don't know lenny lane's music 
yeah, definitely engaging in organic is a good way. Especially her second album was very beautiful. And but so the universe came back with her. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Well, I was sort of already doing that with her, and I really enjoyed that so much. Um, being in the, you know, being in the ranks and playing and getting to work on my skills as a musician, I really, really enjoyed that on that level. So then the first thing that kind of came. Well, actually, simultaneously was doing Chet Faker's tour and joining Sarah Blasco's band. Kind of happened... Same time. At around the same time. Two massive Australian tours where they were sort of, like, following yeah, each other? Yeah, and then I did this really weird... And I'm probably going to, um, yeah, like, jinx it now. But then it started to just... I just ended up doing these back-to-back tours and they all seemed to slot in and around each other which some of my other friends who play in you know multiple bands were like oh it's gonna like there's no way that that's gonna work and then like literally from November 2015 till about now January what are we March March 2017 I've literally kind of done back-to-back tours with different people so from Nairi Nairi supporting Sufjan Stevens which was like the most ridiculous score to actually a year ago around now oh it was because it Why was not? yeah because it was uh, no but we were here for some reason um, and that was one of the best tours I've ever been on what an interesting combination though it was beautiful because Nari at the time would have been just like she's always been on the rise yeah. but at that stage well no her album had been doing wrong. really well about that time so it was a really good time for her to do something a little different to like because she'd been you know doing her band thing which is all with beats and stuff and then actually her MD was going to be overseas and she said to me can you musical direct this tour and I want to do it I know it's ridiculous isn't it so she's like so you weren't just just on key you were the MD yeah I could do that tour which I was really proud of because we came up with some really beautiful versions of her songs and I, I know her as a friend as well so I know what she's capable of, you know, in an emotional realm to sing beautiful and more stripped back and, and quite a female element too of just having her, me and Alana Stone on stage together. <laughs> so the three of us. And then Natalie from Melbourne from Ainsley Wills Band filled in for Alana. So having these people as part of a sisterhood or a collective, a, a musical yeah. uh, mob, so to speak... How has that grown you, Sarah Belkner, as a musician, producer, musical director even? I just get so inspired by people who write great songs. So Nairi and Olympia and Sarah Blasco and these women that I've been around who are just, yeah, just writing incredible songs and, and again, just not being afraid to tap into emotional, sensitive material. And I think women, like men, obviously have that ability as, as well, but these particular women really are delving into that territory and it's just being around that is just incredibly inspiring and getting to play parts that I wouldn't you know necessarily write that they've written or whoever's played on the record has written and then getting to play those parts and play things that I wouldn't usually choose it's just yeah it's been the most incredible education what sort of emotional development has that been for you as well has it made you a stronger person doing this of strong, yeah, I guess so. Clearer, more clarity around everything, like about why I do what I do and what I'm trying to do, and yeah, so just more clarity, I think, around everything. 
and bravery, like seeing, yeah, definitely like in Blasco's case, she is really brave. She's got this really incredible streak of of clearness and she knows what she wants and what she wants to do and she does it. And I think that seems so simple, but when you're trying to do that... What is called the music industry is completely away from where you musicians are right now, isn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah, it is mentally. Yeah, it's definitely a different thing. So then yeah. when you're promoting your music and doing all of that, it's so far removed from like why you write a song or why you pull up which must be healthy though because there are some people that do music to live in that that bubble yeah I don't you know you guys why are so far away from do that it to live in that bubble <laughs> something that I really can't relate to and I guess actually being around um, professional people who have been doing it for a long time too like Blasco and being on Chet Factor and those sorts of things like you realise that it's part and parcel as well so it's like you really need to put a lot of effort into that side of it so that you can make more songs you know so it's really important that you do both our time is uh, short Please, because you need to leave I'm but so before sorry. you do go we need to talk about this one song john lennon are you reaching yes. out to yoko ono speaking about strong powerful Am women I? no but i was thinking about putting it in the john lennon songwriting contest is that funny would that be good <laughs> i don't know if she'd like it <laughs> it's actually a joke i don't think i will put it in there sarah belkner what's the next couple of years got in store for you then well, currently writing. What are you telling the universe you want? I would like to make my next record yep. as soon as possible. Um, finish writing that and and just get that together and be able to do that and tour as much as possible and go overseas more and yeah and just continue doing what I'm doing. Well, congratulations on but you are but it has Sarah Belkner, a pleasure. Thank you, Sarah Belkner. But you are but it has is out through Free Energy Device Records. A tune featuring Sarah Belkner called Layer on the Love is to appear on Brenda McLean's and The Boyfriend's album in March 2019. Also coming out in March, I'm Never Really Here is a mini album from David Thor. He'll be a feature guest here on Radio Notes. And to round out the episode today, I thought I'd share a little bit of the conversation as the fourth single off this mini album soon released. It's called Anything. But for now, here's just a taste of that conversation. David, the solo project, obvious question, why go solo? Is it something you've been doing all along and it's time to shine? Or was there a catalyst for saying, got to get it done? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm going solo. I'm, I'm definitely doing that as well. But it's not to say that I'm ending the band things at all. It's a um, solo release. So solo what's release. the catalyst for a solo release then? I guess because I've always worked with, you know, five, six plus people with writing music and releasing it and playing. It's something I've gotten very used to and it's been really great. But I just kind of was interested in trying it the other way and, you know, having to make all the decisions and drive it completely myself and also be able to make all the creative decisions and just also explore different forms of songwriting and also lyric writing is something I've never really done before. What life experiences are coming into the lyric writing? With this EP, I guess broadly it's been it's been a good way for me to kind of like I guess open up and be a bit more confident about myself, but also there are some more specific instances of like I guess some like family um, you know issues that have come up and also relationship you know, ups and downs and um, 
yeah, just kind of like dealing with that. And it also really helped me actually deal with it and like figure out a solution to the problem. Because I was writing a lot of the lyrics in the time of like a kind of breakup, get back together, confusing time. So that really actually helped me like figure out what was happening just by writing things down and then processing that way. By sharing those aspects and particularly those that involve another person or people. Yeah. How heavy did you take that responsibility and more importantly, how much of it did you share before you decided to make it onto the, uh, the release? Um, I definitely would have shared a bit with the person in question um, and with some friends as well. But I think I think I did internalise a lot of it and um, and left it for the songs. Not really consciously. I think it just happened like that. Um, and then now that I did that, it's kind of like I feel like I don't... I feel like it's out and I don't really need to... I mean, myself, I don't need to really talk about it or figure it out anymore. Did you find that you actually had tapped into part of yourself that you didn't know actually existed like I've been I guess with thinking about lyric writing I've been very self-conscious and it's a thing that I'm not used to at all because I'm used to just making like instrumental music uh, it was nice to realise that I mean I don't know maybe my lyrics are terrible maybe they're okay I don't know I'm not really going to judge that but it was kind of nice to finish statement in a song and actually yeah, actually, like, finish it and say it and feel kind of, like, half-decent about it and then learn that I can attempt this and do this. Um, yeah. But it's still a sense of conversation, isn't it? Yeah. It's still your voice in those instrumentations. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess it was... Because with, with the EP as well, I played everything and recorded everything myself. Um, so I had to, like, play drums, and that was... <laughs> that's probably the the least tight thing <laughs> on the music but I think like it still had my hopefully had my personality in it and my feel I guess and I I think if I'm you know if I'm doing everything I hope there's like some kind of um, like connection between me playing drums and me playing bass and it all feels like it's kind of being held together by by my style of even if it's an instrument I don't know you know Where's your creative space? Where does this work get done? Um, I was living in Northgate for about a year and a bit. So that was a few months ago, but um, up until April or so. So that was about six months of being in a Northgate house and I had a little... I was really lucky to have a little studio um, in there. So I kind of squeezed in this drum kit in a corner and squeezed in everything and it was super crammed but also really comfortable and um, yeah it felt really nice to make music in there did you give yourself a schedule to be in that room not really um, I just kind of got more and more used to uh, the process and being comfortable sitting down to do it so then that kind of made me get into the room more and more how many hours Finally, I guess, because we do need to move on to broader issues, but how many hours do you think you spent making the EP mini-album? Album? Oh, God. Particularly in that room, I'm thinking. Yeah, in that room. Jeez. A room for which you no longer live nearby. No, no. It would have been like... Oh, God. 
would have been like 60 to 70 plus hours in there. Um, and then I did a little bit in my new house as well, just kind of finalizing things. But um, a lot. <laughs> We're speaking with David Thor. He is not just a multi-instrumentalist composer, <laughs> performer. A, a new title. Yeah. <laughs> and writer of his own work. But he also uh, manages a few artists as well. Let's talk briefly about that aspect of your life mm-hmm. and being, I guess, the, the boss of other bands and outfits. So you may well be in them. Mm-hmm. Noted. That's usually the case. <laughs> but also taking that lead, taking that charge, that role. I guess I got into and was interested in managing things through... I'm very organised and I like to kind of be on top of everything and I guess I may micromanage a little too much, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> but I started doing a, like, internship, if you say, at Hope Street recordings mm-hmm. um, and just kind of working with those those people on release management and like um, doing bits of PR and kind of learning the way learning how that side of the industry works and then I started getting more interested in managing the bands but there was like bands that I was in so I guess it's very like selfish management mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd have time to manage someone <laughs> that I'm not you know part of what kind of artists they sort of look after I guess Hope Street's been very strong in the funk soul world yeah. and I guess world I hate world is just a genre like Latin salsa and like yeah so they've been very supportive in the funk soul realm with um, I guess with the Cactus Channel and the Putbacks and Emma Donovan yeah. amazing and Bombay Royale weird psycho Bollywood stuff yeah they've been really supportive in that sector David Thor his mini album I'm Never Really Here, out on March 1st, 2019. We'll hear more from him in a future episode of Radio Notes. Thanks very much to our feature guest this week, Sarah Belkner. Off the charts. Aria, Australian Recording Industry Association charts. The number one single is Seven Rings by Aria Grande. She's also in the Billboard Hot 100 in at number one. The Aria chart album, A Star Is Born, the original soundtrack, Quickly back to the Billboard Artists 100 and the Billboard 200. Number one is the Backstreet Boys DNA. And in the Emerging Artists chart, Arva Max is in at number one and Australia's Dean Lewis is in at number three. In coming episodes, we'll get more diverse charts from around the world to have a look at. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.